Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball. So expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another edition of the WNBA Looking at the Landscape. So Jalen and I came up with three different topics, and we're going to discuss all of them here on this episode. So Jalen, start us off with your first topic. Yeah, man. So I'm just going to come up with one real basic. I think the main thing that I want to talk about to kick things off is the Minnesota Lynx have propelled themselves into a top four seed in the overall WNBA standings. I think that that's something huge because I had them as a top level team, a top five team in our preseason rankings before the entire season started. Um, this is about a week before the year kicked off. Now there's a lot of injuries and stuff that they faced. Obviously, obviously the ones that come to mind is Nafisa Collier missed time. Ariel Powers missed time. Still kind of is off the court. Um, and this team is still missing Renaya Davis, which is a name that I will probably keep reiterating until, you know, she ends up on the floor. But that's another player they drafted um, this offseason that I felt like was going to give them a certain defensive punch in the backcourt but in the meantime they have just been able to play themselves um back into the mix um ryan i think that you had mentioned it once upon a time that they had made a, a mid-season acquisition where i forget the scenario but there was a game-winning buzzer beater game from that player um you'll probably refresh me as we move further along but that was kind of the turning point for this team's season, they're actually four and one in their last five games with wins over the Dream, wins over the Aces, and two wins over the Mercury. Um, so, I mean, this is just a team that is starting to kind of really reassert themselves as one of the more um, talented teams uh, this season. Sitting at nine and seven, third in the Western Conference, not anything to really, you know, sniff at when you're talking about the fact that you know, they're behind the aces and the storm in that conference. But um, I mean, they're right there in the mix with Connecticut and Chicago. And I think that's something that should look that that um, Minnesota fans should get hype about because this is a team that had a really rough start to the season. And now they're slowly getting healthy and it's starting to, you know, really play in their favor. And I think the player that you're referring to is Leisha Clarendon, who was a very solid addition for this team. She was claimed off of waivers coming over from the New York Liberty, and she was a phenomenal player over in New York, considering that it was her and Jasmine Jones basically carrying carrying the scoring load while Sabrina Ionescu was out with injury in the WNBA wobble last year. So I think her impact is being felt right now with the Minnesota Lynx, considering that they also really needed guard depth. And I think that was the big thing going forward. Crystal Dangerfield has not looked the same since last year. Kayla McBride's playing some pretty good basketball right now. I think that 0-4 start really helped them in a way. I think that they were able to face adversity early on and then overcome a four-game losing streak to hand the Connecticut Sun, the best team in the league at the time, their first loss. So I think they kind of needed those four losses just to wake them up, essentially. Considering that, Jalen, you were pretty high on this team and I wasn't as high on this team. I thought that this team had a lot of room to grow, although they had a lot of talent and a lot of depth. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing going forward, especially considering that Jalen, you consistently bring it up. We have not seen Renaya Davis on the floor yet. So considering that the Olympic break starts next week after the All-Star game, there's a chance we may end up seeing Renaya Davis in August. Now, I also think that'll be interesting because 
what does a front court with Vernia Davis on the court look like for Minnesota? How impressive will she be? Will she fit right in with this team? I think those are the questions that we will see. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we want to, like, you know, take a look at when you talk about the Renaya Davis aspect of it is, is she a two or a three in terms of this lineup, right? That's the tricky part, because I think the Clarendon and McBride kind of shape out that front court, I mean, that, that back court really nicely. And I think that if you can give me Crystal Dangerfield as somebody focusing specifically on being a scorer and have somebody in Renaya Davis who specifically is stepping in to guard the opposing team's best guard and shoot threes, um, I think the three-point shot is one of those things that, especially with the fact that she's coming from injury, they're going to rely on her being a catch-and-three, catch-and-shoot, uh, three-point shooter. So that'll be really interesting to see. At the end of the day, um, I think their trio in the front court, Demiris Dantes, Nafisa Collier, and uh, Sylvia Fowles, I mean, they're going to be the ones that drive this ship, obviously, in the second half. I think all of these teams are going to be really interesting um coming out of the olympic break but i just find it really interesting that that uh minnesota is catching its stride at such a good time before everybody gets the reset and i think as this team gets even more healthy they're going to be even scarier as the season continues and you use that word reset and i think that's a great word to use we're about a week away from the olympic break so i think that's going to be something to watch out for with a lot of teams but i want to talk about one team in particular that could use a reset That's the Indiana Fever, who Jalen picked up their second win of the season, defeating the Connecticut Sun. They snapped a 12-game losing streak. And I would say the game against the Connecticut Sun, the win against the Connecticut Sun, I would say was an upset, to say the least. Danielle Robinson went 19 points. Kelsey Mitchell added 14 points. Tierra McCowan, who's been a double-double machine for the Fever, had 13 points and 12 rebounds, her seventh double-double this season. And Indiana only turned the ball over seven times in this game, which is the lowest for the team this season. And it's impressive considering that Connecticut had been one of the best defensive teams in the league this year. And speaking of defense, Indiana held Connecticut to 67 points. And Connecticut as a team shot 35.8% from the field in that game, both of which are the second lowest for the Connecticut Sun this season. And in the final 10 minutes, the Sun, they shot 29%. This was an impressive win for Indiana, but I feel like this team has a long way to go. They have the second worst offensive rating in the league, worst defensive rating in the league. And then they play two very tough teams in the New York Liberty and the Atlanta Dream in their next two matchups. So if they can pull off some wins against them, I think they'll have some momentum going into the Olympic break. Yeah, and I think um, I think what you said about the the matchup with Connecticut is so huge in terms of it being an upset because I mean think about it the the trio of uh, Jonquil Jones, uh, Dewana Bonner, and Brianna Jones that's three all stars on this team they held them to forty three points combined like if you do that you're having a good night sixty seven points overall for the team. Um, I think uh, with this with this game in particular, this is one of those that shows that when they actually like really come to play, that they're a team that can be relatively dangerous. I think at the end of the day, the the people to point to is Daniel Robinson and like you mentioned beforehand, Tierra McCowan. Tierra McCowan has been a double double machine as of late, but she's been one of those players I've been mentioning throughout this season about needing to play up to her position. This team desperately needs physicality. They desperately need. Um, players to play up to their to to their skill level and they desperately need to kind of just throw things at the wall and see what sticks I think when this team plays free 
they're scary because they're already a team with low expectation and they're a team with very little to lose at this point, considering the rough start that they had, not to say they can't turn the season around, but with some of the starts by some of these other teams, when we're talking about a playoff system that is not favorable to the bottom four teams, five teams right now are pretty solidified in terms of their championship status as teams that might be able to make a run at the whole thing. So with three spots left, this tough, this tough start is going to make things really difficult for Indiana. But I think we're going to talk about a topic later on that I think uh, you have in mind from what we discussed uh, before the show started that I think will be really interesting in terms of Indiana trying to get better coming off the Olympic break besides just getting healthy and i figured let's just transition right into that because this Mm -hmm. is a very interesting topic that happened just a couple of days ago jalen the atlanta dream have suspended kennedy carter indefinitely it was announced on monday that carter was suspended for conduct that was detrimental to the team and according to spencer nussbaum of the next during the dreams matchup with the aces On Sunday, Carter was angry when a Dream player talked to her during a timeout in the first quarter, and Carter left the game in the first quarter after playing just over five minutes. It wasn't because of injury. Atlanta Dream head coach Mike Peterson said, it's something we're dealing with, and that's all I can say. Jalen, there's some trouble in Atlanta, and Mm -hmm. I think my takeaway is this. I think something else must have happened because this seemed like a very quick decision. Now, I saw that she got into it on Twitter with a user who has been kind of stirring the pot. And this same person on Twitter retweeted the tweet that announced the suspension of Kennedy Carter with a tweet that simply said, where there's smoke, there's fire. This is another problem for a team that's 6-11 and right now. And I think it's safe to say, Jalen, when you lose a player like Kennedy Carter, this team is going to struggle for sure. And I don't think this team could lose a player like Carter, considering they already have been dealing with injuries up to that point. So this is just another problem on top of a boatload of problems. They're battling injuries. They have a struggling defense, and they're also dealing with a change in ownership. They have a new coach. Keep in mind, Nikki Collin left in May to coach the Baylor women's basketball team. They also have a new GM and a new ownership and a new owner as part of an ownership group that was led by former player Renee Montgomery. And then just on top of that, Christina Williams of Girls Sports Talk TV reported that there's discontent in the locker room. So things are going from bad to worse for the Atlanta Dream. But going back to Kennedy Carter for a second, I've been hearing a lot of trade scenarios. I've been seeing a lot of trade scenarios on Twitter. Jalen, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this because I don't know how Kennedy Carter walks back into that Atlanta locker room after this because there's a chance that I think Atlanta could make a move before the deadline in September. But I also think that there's a chance that they keep her with the caliber of a scorer that she is. Jalen, I want to get your thoughts on this real quick on the overall situation and possible trade scenarios. So first of all, obviously, being the place I'm from, uh, hearing anything going bad with an Atlanta sports team is just one of those things that kind of hurts the soul because you just want to see them going in the right direction. Atlanta has been having a pretty tough year as it is. Uh, six and 11. I think they're like two and eight in their last 10 games or something like that. Definitely struggling to get up on the uh, getting the winner's column. 
Um, but Ryan, I was thinking about this a little bit after we had the conversation earlier pre-show, but I'm going to read some stuff out to you that I think is really interesting. I'm not going to name the player that I'm comparing her to just yet, but I want to put two and two together and see how you feel about this comparison. Um, this player is actually in the NBA. So I'm going to, so that'll help kind of give some, uh, some context to where this is going. 26 games played this season, 16.6 points per game this year in their second year second year in the nba now let's take a look at kennedy carter second year in the nba 27 play games played that's that's total over the course of their career this this season she hasn't played as much due to injury but 27 games played um in her career 16.1 points per game over the course of two seasons like i said second year player who am i comparing kennedy carter to interesting interestingly enough right now kevin porter jr another person who has had a really interesting start to their career like don't get me wrong i'm not calling her a hot head i'm not even trying to put her in some weird corner or kevin porter jr for that uh, that matter in some weird corner as pointing them out as bad people or aggressive people but there are two people who have definitely had an interesting start to their to their NBA or WNBA careers. Um and I think that one of the biggest things that we've seen is since Kevin has been moved over to the Houston Rockets, we haven't really heard any issues from him. Now, what is the key point that I want to focus on between these two? Losing hurts pride. Losing hurts focus. If you remember, now granted Kevin didn't step into a great situation with Houston either from a winning standpoint, but he was stepping into a situation where he was actually, if he was going to be a part of a losing team, he was actually going to be one of the main catalysts to make to also propelling them into being a better team. Kevin Porter Jr. is arguably one of their top three priorities in terms of building this franchise up in, in, in the terms of rebuilding this team post James Harden. Atlanta is in a really interesting situation themselves with the fact that they are they have struggled this season and are desperately looking for a direction. Kennedy Carter is in a situation where she's been struggling with injury, which has its own psychological effect on a player in terms of their ability to be on the court and be there for their teammates, as well as play to their level. And you have a player who is dealing with the fact that they are playing losing basketball on a nightly basis. Now, Kennedy Carter is averaging about 14 points this season in the like 11 games. I think she's played or something like that. So I think that when we talk about trade scenarios, um, the three teams that I brought up to you um, in pre-show was Washington, because I feel like the guard play is kind of necessary with the fact that Tina Charles is the only player that's really giving them consistent buckets, and they don't really have anybody in the backcourt that's been really stepping up on a nightly basis, although that could be that could be a beauty in the eyes of the beholder situation um, with that. The other team that we brought up was the aforementioned team, Indiana, who's a team that desperately is just looking for somebody else or looking for somebody to step up into that lead guard role. I still don't feel like they've really embraced anybody as being that lead guard just yet. And I think that that's one of those things that's really hurting them in terms of trying to distinguish what direction they're heading into moving forward. Kaiser Godrasek is not really getting a ton of time um, on the court. 
uh, Daniel Robinson is probably the main guard that you go to in terms of looking at Indiana and saying who's going to put this team on their back. But I don't think that you can have a backcourt that has only one reliable player on a nightly basis and say that that's going to take you in the, take you in the right direction to being a winning ball club. The Mitchell to uh, the Mitchell sisters, you know, they're not literally related, but Kelsey Mitchell and Tiffany Mitchell being two players that have played relatively well this season, they've been good as well, but I still think that they could use a serious influx of talent at the guard position. I think Kennedy Carter could do that. And then the other team that I brought up, interestingly enough, is that, I think that LA is another team that could really use some help in the guard position. The Agumake sisters are the main ones who drive this, uh, drive this team. We've seen Taya Cooper step up in a really good way with this increased uh, time that she's had on the floor, but it hasn't really turned the turned the tide for them yet. Erica Wheeler is another player who's pl- played relatively well so far this season, but again, is she a lead guard? For LA, that's kind of the question for um that needs to still be answered. So out of those three teams, like what team do you think would have would she fit the best on if the tra- if there were to be a trade uh done by Atlanta? That's a good question because I think there's multiple different teams that she could fit on. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think the three teams, Washington. Indiana and Los Angeles, they all need guard help and they all Mm -hmm. also have losing records, but I would probably say Indiana because I think that it would be a situation where Candy Carter is the number one option. She'll be the definitive number one option on that team. I think that she'll get a lot of the control on the offensive side to be able to shine and be the leading scorer on this team. But there's that question of who do you give up and how much do you give up? I think the interesting thing, there's a couple of trade scenarios that I'm thinking of right now. You could do a rookie for a rookie swap with Kennedy Carter, where you trade Ari McDonald for Kaiser Godrasic. I think you could also package a deal where you give Indiana uh, Kennedy Carter and a pick for Tierra McCowan, considering how great Tierra McCowan has been. She could help really boost up that front court. I think there's a situation where you package Candy Carter and Tiffany Hayes for a Tierra McCowan and a couple of players as well. So mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of different situations where you could trade Candy Carter alone or you could trade Candy Carter with some picks or along with another player. Either way, I still feel like Candy Carter could make the most impact on a team like Indiana. I think that she's not going to make the the same amount of impact on Los Angeles, considering that it seems like Erica Wheeler pretty much has that guard position locked down, even though I feel like Kennedy Carter could be competing with her for that starting point guard role. As long as she, as she stays healthy, that's the other thing that I want to bring up too, because like you mentioned, Kennedy Carter has been dealing with a lot of injuries in her time in the WNBA. So I think that's another big factor that teams are going to have to take into consideration when trading for a player like Kennedy Carter. So I think that's going to be the big thing, but I think Indiana could be the favorite in all of this. I uh, have to disagree a little bit, but I think it's just uh, out of the fact of what you said on the back end, which was just uh, what do they have to give up? And um, I think that the player that comes to mind and making a swap is Natasha Cloud for uh, Washington. I think that you give, you give a team like Atlanta a veteran presence guard 
uh, something I think they desperately need with the fact that they they need a sense of direction. A player that's been through the ringer a good amount of times this is a player who's been in the league for a, for a good little while now, about six years. This is her about six, I think this is her sixth season um, in the WNBA. Uh, she she's averaging a career high 5.7 assists uh, per game this year, a career high 3.7 and rebounds this year. Um, she's not going to give you a lot of buckets. She's never averaged double figures in her career. And I actually think that that's something that I've kind of undermined throughout this season in terms of her lack of offensive production. She's never really been an offensive producer for Washington since being uh, picked up in 2015. So I think that she can, if she can step in on an Atlanta team that clearly already has a dominating scorer and Courtney Williams on the team. I think if you can get her a facilitating guard to put next to her, that it might be an interesting trade-off because Kennedy Carter is a bucket getting point guard that can also facilitate a little bit and rebound relatively well. I think that, that Washington needs a scoring guard more than, more than Atlanta needs a scoring guard right now. And I think that, Natasha Cloud at the guard position gives Atlanta something a little bit more of what they need, which is a true facilitator to get everybody else involved. I think if you had to get a little sweet with it, that uh, Teresa Placence is another one at the forward position, especially if like, um, especially if Elena Deladon comes back, I think that that would be huge. And um, obviously, uh, Emma Mieseman, if those two come back at the forward position, you've mixed in Maisha Hines Allen and, You've got the front court just about just about tied up. So Teresa Places will be somebody else that if you had to kind of like sweeten up the deal or if you had to make the trade a little bit more dynamic to make sure both sides are happy. I think that's another player that you could throw in where you can maybe pick up somebody else from Atlanta or make it a bit of a three team swing. And Washington and Atlanta can both address big needs in their backcourts. I don't know if that's the greatest trade scenario in the world, but I do see a Natasha Cloud for Kennedy Carter Sweet being uh switcheroo being something that could be relatively beneficial to both squads. So I'll answer that trade with another trade because I okay. think of it, I think of another team that could be very interesting for Kennedy Carter is Chicago, considering mm-hmm. I think when you when you factor in that. Chicago has a true facilitator at the point in Courtney mm-hmm. Vandersloot, and she's one of the best facilitators in the league. I think it will be interesting to see what Candy Carter looks like next to her. Now, what do you give up? That's the real question again. And does Chicago gamble on Candy Carter? Because I think when we think about the players on this on the Chicago team, who mm-hmm. are you willing to give up for Candy Carter? Are you willing to give up Ali Quigley? That's going to be a tough one if you lose her, considering she's been a top three-point shooter in the league for a long time. Do you give up somebody like Diamond to Shields, or do you give give up somebody like Kalia Copper? Kalia Copper just made the all-star game. I don't know if you can trade her now, and I think Diamond to Shields, I think with her defense, you would be cut. I think the best word that you use in this whole scenario is gamble. That's the thing. I think with Chicago, they rolling dice and hoping it comes up their way because – Honestly, I think the biggest thing with their team is continuity. Like, I think you would be upset in the apple cart with a team like Chicago being the team that you trade with. But I see what you mean, though, when you say the whole putting her next to a, a facilitating point guard, though. That's what, that's what I was saying with Atlanta. They don't really have that right now. And so I think that would be interesting if you could put her in the mix with somebody like that. And I think the interesting thing, too, is I'm thinking about it with Washington do you gamble on Natasha Cloud? Because she's had her fair share of injuries as well. And she also hasn't been consistent on the scoring side 
since being back this season. So that's another thing where I feel like with Washington, they could use a player like Kennedy Carter, but who do you give up? I think it's more likely you give up Teresa Plasance, considering that, like you said, Misaman is going to be back in August. Deladon could be back sooner rather than later. So you give up Plasance, who's been a pretty solid forward for the Washington Mystics. You give her up for Kennedy Carter, maybe some picks, and she will really help a front court in Atlanta that's been improving. Elizabeth Williams has been a pretty solid center for them. Tiffany Hayes, she's been playing some pretty good basketball too. So I think that Atlanta, if they are able to get Teresa Placence, they could have a, a very interesting front court, much like Minnesota, where there's a lot of talent, but just trying to figure out where the talent fits in. That's going to be really in, something interesting to see going forward with Candy Carter. But Jalen, I want to get your next topic for this WNBA looking at the landscape episode. Yeah, man. And I'm going to bring up something that we haven't really talked about at all this season. It's the commissioner's cup. It's this, this, this thing that's supposed to take place. I'm going to read out its actual description because I don't want to shortchange it at all, but the way the WNBA describes it is as a part of the WNBA's 25th season celebrations, the WNBA is launching the inaugural commissioner's cup championship an innovative in-season competition within a competition through which Teams will set their sights on a $500,000 prize pool and the title of Commissioner's Cup champion. Now, this doesn't have any impact on the WNBA finals whatsoever, and it doesn't really mess with the schedule at all. You wouldn't even know the difference if you weren't really paying attention to the aspects of the Commissioner's Cup being a thing, because all 12 teams are eligible. All 12 teams have a chance at the cup. And basically, the idea of it is that the best team in the East and the West up between now and July 11th, so next uh, next week actually is when it takes place, um, are going to face off on August 12th for the, for the right to be named Commissioner Cup uh, champion. So basically the entire point of this is obviously the $500,000 prize pool, which is pretty huge in the WNBA considering the fact that when we talk about pay discrepancies, anything that will leave a little bit of a advance in that check of yours by playing harder will definitely be something that's significant. But I think the other thing too is that it is a little bit interesting in terms of it's kind of like weird play-in format in terms of like how they're trying to create a bit of like in-season competitiveness similar to how the NBA created the play-in tournament as a way to make the back end of the season a lot more interesting heading into the playoffs. Um, so again, because this doesn't have really any full impact on like playoff standings, it doesn't change your ability to get home court. It doesn't have any impact on um, the NBA, the WNBA finals. It's just one of those things that helps with uh, competitiveness. And it does kind of add a little bit more, uh, more uh, to work towards in the WNBA season. Um I just thought it was a very interesting uh, concept that is coming around the corner. The Commissioner's Cup, like I said beforehand, pretty much the the season for that portion of the year ends on July 11th. And then after the Olympic break, the very first game of the WNBA season's return will be that Commissioner Cup, uh, Commissioner's Cup finals uh, game. So if that were if that uh, were to be played right now, we would get a matchup of the Las Vegas Aces versus the Connecticut Sun for the Commissioner's Cup Championship. So, Ryan, first off, uh, thoughts on the Commissioner's Cup 
in general, like the concept of it, it is a really interesting concept that kind of factors in like every other home and away game and different things like that is a way to count towards this like tally score throughout the season. But then the other the other question I have to ask you is fate of the universe on the line, Las Vegas Aces versus Connecticut for the cup. Who are you taking? So I think the concept itself is very interesting. I actually think the concept is pretty cool if you think about it. I mean, it's like every other game. So I think that will be the interesting thing because, like, if you look at the record of both teams, both teams have, I believe, one loss in the Commissioner Cup standings. So it's almost like every game is important in the WNBA season now with this Commissioner's Cup because any team can fight for it and every team has a chance at it. So – I think now that you give that incentive of also $500,000, which is huge. And then you also give that, like I mentioned, the incentive of something to play for during the season. I think that really makes it more competitive in a way that they're trying to emulate what the NBA's play in tournaments doing, which is making it competitive inside of an already competitive season. And I think that's going to be a very interesting to look out for. I hope they continue this concept because I think that this could be an interesting scenario with teams in the future who aren't as good right now, but could be great down the line, like a team in the Mystics when they're fully healthy. Also a team like New York when they get Sabrina and Natasha Howard fully healthy. I think with this concept going forward, it could allow different teams to thrive and possibly take over and play in the finals of this game. Now, talking about the game itself, you're talking about two very talented teams with two very talented front courts. I think if I had to put my money on a team, it would probably be the Las Vegas Aces, considering that they have two MVP MVP candidates right now, Liz Cambridge and Aja Wilson, playing some amazing basketball right now. Kelsey Plum has been a great player since returning from injury. Chelsea Gray has been a good addition so far since coming over from the Las Vegas or since coming over from the Los Angeles Sparks. I think they're also getting some pretty good production as well from De'Ara Kahambi. Jisoo Park has been a phenomenal rebounder for them as of late. So I think that with the amount of offensive talent that Las Vegas has, considering that they have one of the best offensive teams in the league, they lead the league in points per game, second in rebounds and assists. I think that this team's ready to go and possibly win the Commissioner's Cup. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that they just have a lot of offensive firepower, but I wouldn't even be surprised if this was a defensive matchup considering Connecticut is no joke either. And John Quill Jones and Dewana Bonner are no joke in that in that front court as well. So I think that'll be something interesting. I think that Las Vegas have them have them has Connecticut beat in the backcourt. And I think that's probably where the where things will probably change. Um the 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 aspects of that game. We shouldn't sleep on Seattle though, because Seattle and uh, Las Vegas are actually both uh, tied right now in the actual standings. And there's a few games left just so that I make sure I describe this correctly. There are 60 regular season games, 10 per team that have been designated as cup games, specifically cup games will be the first home game and first road game. Each team plays against its five intra-conference rivals all set to take place in the first half of the season. So I think the biggest thing about it too, when we go back to the competitive aspect of it is when you face those interconference teams, whether it's East or West, it makes it a little bit more, it puts a lot more emphasis on not only the structure of the standings itself, but it puts a lot more emphasis on your actual matchups within your own conference. I think you can look at the Commissioner's Cup standings and there's a certain competitiveness there, but it also brings the conference rivalry aspect 
up just a notch. And I think that that can create some very interesting storylines that'll be worth looking at, looking at in the second half of the season, as well as maybe in the playoffs. So I just thought the commissioner's cup was something interesting to talk about, especially with the fact that we haven't really referenced it at all so far this season. Again, it's kind of just mixed in with the fact that the regular season is kind of just going as normal. So it kind of just flies under the radar, but it's one of those things that's going to kick off the second half of the season coming off the Olympic break. So figure we talk about it now or never. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting also considering that, like you mentioned with Las Vegas and Seattle, they're competing for that top spot. So one of these two teams could possibly walk out of there with the commissioner's cup and the WNBA championship in the same season. So I think giving, giving the players an incentive, another incentive to play for besides WNBA championship, I think is a great concept. And hopefully the WNBA, like I said, hopefully they can continue this concept going forward. But Jalen, what is your third and final topic that you want to discuss for this episode? Oh man, Ryan. So, you know, your boy had to come with some heat to end the podcast off. We're going to have to drag this one out a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you because we got to shout out the new first time all-stars selected to the WNBA all-star matchup against TBUSA. We have seven new all-stars on this roster starting up from the beginning. We have Kalia Copper shout out her from the Philly from Philly uh, through 17 games. She's averaging 13.9 points per game to lead Chicago right now. Dierica Hamby talking about those Las Vegas aces. Lord, this team just can't seem to get any better in the front court, can they? Sitting there as the reigning two-time WNBA six woman of the year right now is averaging 11.2 points per game and is coming off the bench going crazy for Vegas. Then we got to talk about the aforementioned Brianna Jones. We mentioned her a little bit talking about Connecticut and her circumstances with the fact that she's going to have to go up against some of the best front court players um in the WNBA and she has been holding her own like crazy right now averaging 14.4 points per game 6.7 rebounds per game and is playing the most minutes in her five-year career so far at 31.1 minutes per game then we got to get back down to Vanaja Laney for the New York Liberty man there's no way to sleep on Laney with the fact that she has been one of the main players carrying new carrying New York so far this season the big motto with Laney has been if she scores 20 New York is either in the game or they're winning that game and right now she's averaging a career high 17.2 points per game and four assists per game um from last year and I think that uh yeah, she posted 17.2 points per game and four assists per game last year as a career high. And it's only gotten better this year where she's averaging 19.7 points per game and 5.3 assists per game this year. So about a two-point jump on both and both lanes, which is pretty huge. Then we got to talk about Arika Agumbawale for, you know, your boys Dallas Wings on the low-key tip. Uh, leading the uh, leading the league in scoring last year with 22.8 points per game and hasn't really lost any footing. Now she's fourth in the standings at 20.3 points per game. And Shorty has gone crazy this year. She's had 20 points in 10 of 16 games played. So you know she's going to be somebody that goes out and go gets buckets in that all-star game. Of course, you know my girl Satu Sabali came back from overseas as a former number two overall pick that has came back for the Dallas wings and is averaging 6.1 rebounds per game. And is their third best scorer with 13.2 points per game. 
And to round out that list, we have Courtney Williams for the, the aforementioned Atlanta Dream, who is one of those players who has really been keeping them afloat so far. And she's one of the league's leading guards in rebounding with 17.2 rebounds per game, along with the fact that she's averaging 17.1 points per game, which is a career high. Now, Ryan, we can gas these players up all we want to pay homage to their arrival to stardom, but there's only one thing left to do. Ryan, give me in order. Rank these top seven all-stars in order for the pod. I want to just say something real quick about De'Erica Hamby because sure. she came into a huge role that was left by, by Renee Montgomery after she tore her ACL. Credit to De'Erica Hamby being able to fill that role and then being a great player for the Las Vegas Aces. Ranking the top seven. Okay, so let's see here. I'm going to go number seven, Courtney Williams, because I think Courtney Williams is a phenomenal basketball player. Number six, I'm going to go to Sabali. She didn't play a lot of games this year, but she's also a great basketball player. Let's go number five, Brianna Jones. I think Brianna Jones is definitely a phenomenal front court player. Let's go number four, Kalia Copper. She's definitely stepped up on the defensive side recently for the Chicago Sky, definitely providing a lot of defensive assistance to Candace Parker and trying to make this team a better defensive team overall. Let's go number three, Benaja Laney, most improved player last year, going up for the MVP this year possibly. She's definitely a phenomenal player and a great signee off of free agency for the New York Liberty. Number two, I'm going to go Enrique Agubawale. Bucket getter has a chance to be the WNBA scoring champion at the end of the season. And number one, I'm going to go to Erica Hamby. Like I said, phenomenal player this season. She's been able to fill that role up by Renee Montgomery. So in my top seven, I have Courtney Williams at number seven. I have Satu Sabali at number six. I have Brianna Jones at number five. Kalia Cooper at number four. Benaja Laney at number three. Enrique Gumbuale at number two, and then at number one, D'Erica Hamby. Yeah, man, that's interesting. That's interesting out of the fact that when you look at D'Erica Hamby, she's one of those players that has been coming off the bench strong for the Aces. So to have a bench player as the best talent on your list is really interesting. I can't be mad at it, though, because she's one of those players that's contributing to a championship team, and you can't say that she's riding the coattails of her front court by any means. That entire front court is crazy active. If I had to give you my list, starting off from the beginning, starting off at the top, come on now. You already know what time it is. We're putting my girl Satu Sabali at the top, and it's not just out of the fact that I have an infatuation with the girl as a basketball player, but it's also out of the fact that she's one of those players that's went toe-to-toe with some of the best forwards in the league. I'll keep going back to that that game against the Las Vegas Aces um, because I feel like that's a very big, big marking point for this uh, for this team specifically, and when we talk about Satu Sabali, her, her one-on-one matchup against Aja Wilson reigning MVP Aja Wilson where they went blow for blow and Dallas nearly won that game I think that's something that stands out to me she's a versatile two-way player that can shoot the three I think she's a really interesting prospect that in her second year is going to become even more dangerous as she flushes out her um 
her offensive game. Number two, after that, I got to agree with you. Dierica Hamby is no joke. And despite the fact that she's coming off the bench, she'd start for most teams in this league right now. Lord, I know that Atlanta would love to have her in the front court. I'm sure that they would, uh, that Washington would not mind having her paired next to, um, next to Tina Charles down there. I know that even Seattle, who's a team that you'd act like doesn't really need any talent at all, would sure as heck take her as a trade-off for the fact that they lost Natasha Howard in the offseason. So De'Erica Hamby is somebody who could arguably arguably start for <laughs> all 11 other teams in the front court, but she plays for Las Vegas and she just makes them a more dangerous team. At number three, I got to go with Arike Gumbawale. I, I agree with you in terms of her being a top three player. I couldn't put her at number two just out of the fact that, like I said, I had to put my girl Satu at the top. But Arike Gumbawale is arguably one of the best scorers in the WNBA right now. She's again in the mix to be the leading scorer at the end of the season right now. I think she's fourth. Tina Charles is low-key running away with it right now. I think she's up by about four points um I think she's up by three or four points on the next player behind her um in that order if I'm not mistaken uh or it might it might be barely but I think she's averaging somewhere between 23 and uh 21 and 23 points per game so that's one of those things that has her firmly ahead with the fact that she's also pretty much the glue that's holding this Washington Mystics team together but Arika Gumbawale has been doing her thing all season and I really don't see that stopping um, next, I have to put Benaja Laney there. I think that, again, like I said, 20 points plus, and it's a dub. And she's one of those that's typically getting that done consistently. I think that this, this skid by New York has a lot less to do with her play and a lot more to do with the fact that Natasha Howard not being on the floor hurts them in the front court. And Sabrina is one of those players that's still trying to kind of keep herself on the floor without being a detriment to her team she definitely has not been the kind of scoring threat we thought we she was going to be this year but she's still facilitating the ball relatively well and assisting at a high clip now when we get to this bottom three that's where things get kind of interesting because i think the tie between brianna jones and kalia copper is a significant one but i'm gonna lean with you you had kalia copper going over brianna jones uh, from what i wrote down and um I think I'm going to keep that consistent. I'm going to put Kalia Copper next. Uh, I think that her impact on the sky has been big. Like I said, leading scorer for them right now. And that's on a team that has, boy, some talent across the board on it, considering Candace Parker, uh, Courtney Vanishloo, Diamond DeShields. The, the list goes on with the fact that this team can be really dangerous on the offensive end. To know that she's taking the charge on that says a lot. Uh, Brianna Jones, like I mentioned beforehand, uh, big-time anchor, uh inside uh for the Connecticut Sun in terms of that that trifecta they have in the front court um but I just think that the that the duo they have in the front court kind of outshines Brianna a little bit I think it's a similar circumstance to Dierica where maybe on a different team Brianna Jones could probably go crazy but on this team she's just filling a role and she's playing relatively well to the point that even being the third option, so to speak, in the front court, she still was able to make the all-star team. And then Courtney Williams is last. I hate to put my Atlanta brethren at the bottom like this, but look, bro, she's just been a player that hasn't been able to contribute very well to winning basketball so far this season. She's actually the only player on this list for us that has uh, that has a losing record. I mean, I guess you could argue as well that uh, New York is floating right there. But at the same time, uh this is the only player who's really on a in a losing situation and she's just playing kind of above her team uh lacking so 
yeah, man, I think this will be an uh, interesting graphic to make a little bit later on, kind of kind of show some love to the uh, first-time All-Stars for the WNBA All-Star game. And uh, before we get out of here, we got a little, we got a little bit more uh, time before we got to bounce out of here, Ryan. What are your thoughts on the WNBA All-Star selections? Was there anybody that you felt like was snubbed? And who are you taking in the WNBA All-Star versus U.S. matchup? Well, first of all, I mean, a lot of great players, a lot of great first-time selections. Courtney Williams has really been the anchor that's been carrying that offense for Atlanta. Satu Sabale, so much potential with her. Keep in mind, it's only her second year in the league. Mm -hmm. She was drafted right out of Oregon. And can you believe she was on the same team as Sabrina Ionescu in college? Phenomenal team. (laughs) Khalid Copper, she's been phenomenal this season on the defensive side. Brianna Jones contributing a very strong contributor and a very strong rebounder on a very good rebounding team in Connecticut. Arike Gumbawale, she's a bucket getter through and through. Banaja Laney, there have been a lot of 20-point games from her this season, and she has been a phenomenal offensive player, MVP candidate for sure. And De'Erica Hamby, last but not least, taking over that role for Renee Montgomery. But I think that this is, this is a very interesting setup, Team USA versus Team WNBA. A lot of talent on this Team USA roster. We didn't really mention a lot of it, but I'll just throw out some names here. Tina Charles, MVP candidate for the Washington Mystics. Nafisa Collier, Skylar Dickens-Smith, Sylvia Fowles, Chelsea Gray, Brittany Griner, Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird, Ariel Atkins, Asha Wilson, Diana Taurasi, and last but not least, WNBA's KD and Brianna Stewart. So <laughs> I think if we're putting these two teams together, I would have to go Team USA, but it's going to be a close game. I think because they have Brianna Stewart, a solid basketball player, one of the best in the WNBA right now. You also pair her with with WNBA legends and Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird. Tina Charles playing at the level that she's been playing at. Skylar Dickens-Smith playing at the level she's playing at, considering that she really stepped up in that, in that first scoring option role. There's just a lot of talent on this team, but keep in mind, this this WNBA All-Star squad has got some talent as well. Liz Cambridge on the other side playing against Asha Wilson for Team USA. That's going to be a matchup to watch out for in that game. Kalia Copper, like we mentioned, she stepped up. How often are we going to see Brianna Jones and John Quell Jones on the same floor? I think that's going to be very interesting to see going forward. But before we get out of here, I want to talk about my last topic. Something that happened very recently last week, I mentioned it a little bit. Lauren Cox being waived by the Indiana Fever, but she was signed recently to the Los Angeles Sparks. Last week, I said that Lauren Cox was waived, and I also said that she had the potential to be a great player on a different team, and now we get to see that possibility come true as she signed with the Los Angeles Sparks. With Indiana, she only averaged 8.6 minutes a game this year and 1.4 points and two rebounds. It's not great, but she hasn't been getting a lot of time either on this Indiana team to really shine. But we talk about how great of a player that she was in college. Big 12 player of the year in 2020, first team All-American, first team All-Big 12, and she also won defensive player of the year at her time in Baylor. So she was she's played a couple of games with the Sparks already, and she's She's getting a lot of the minutes that she didn't get with the Indiana Fever. 19 minutes and 21 minutes in the games played against the Aces and then 14 minutes against the Storm. So I think that the increasing amount of minutes will give her the ability to showcase her full potential and possibly she could become an impact player coming off the bench for the Sparks as they make a possible playoff run coming off the Olympic break. 
I mean, I think that that's an interesting uh, pickup by them. Definitely one of those things that's going to be interesting looking into into the second half of the season, considering it's one of those late pickups that we're not going to really see come to fruition very much right now. But I think, like you said beforehand, with playing time, especially with the fact that she'll be in a front court with Amanda Zowie B, it's a team that's going to kind of be able to let it fly. We'll see if the Agumake um, uh, sisters uh, will be able to link back up in the second half of the season, coming off of Olympic play, maybe be failing themselves. If I'm not mistaken, the uh, – the the two sisters along with their other sister are actually all maybe supposed to uh, participate in the olympics i think that that would be not only a really big milestone mo moment for uh women's basketball but i also think it could be something that could revitalize those two when they come back to uh to LA, to la to help their team make a second half push so um yeah man i think that everything going on in the wnba right now is crazy interesting um, I actually just recently put together a WNBA top five MVP list. So that's something that I definitely uh, am looking forward to discussing at some point on the pod, because, man, there are so many names that you could throw out right now. And just reading our all star list and our Team USA list. Lord, you could make a top 10 just out of this group and still feel like you're disrespecting by say, disrespecting somebody by leaving them off. So I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how this season picks up next week. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit about our um, our last power rankings going into the break. And after we come off a month break of WNBA action being on pause, man, the second half of this season is going to be ridiculous. All-Star Game, July 14th. Everybody go check that out. It's on ESPN. Another thing to mention, though, too, you mentioned with the Ogomike sisters, all playing for Team Nigeria as mm -hmm. well. So I don't want to make a hot take here, but don't be surprised if Nanike and Chini Ogomike go off and have a pretty good game against Team USA and possibly pull off an upset in the Olympics. Very big call, man. I'm still taking USA on that one. But at the end of the day, you, you, like you said, you cannot sleep on them. So did you take Team USA in the, uh, the their game against the All-Star team? I did take Team USA. All right, well, I'm going to play anti and pick Team WBA on this one. I got my girl Satu hosting that tro trophy up at the end of this game. Give her 24 points. I'm getting all dimes from Courtney Vandersloot. That's going to be a phenomenal game to watch next week. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see – which team progresses and which team regresses coming off of this Olympic break, especially with a lot of teams needing a reset going into the Olympic break. But transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you think will win the WNBA All-Star Game next week, Team USA or Team WNBA? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.